people and not married people. Welcome to the replay where we replay and reply to questions about games sent in to advice columnists from around the world and time. I am your husband, Eric Silver. I'm Eric's wife, Amanda McLaughlin. That's the only way wives are allowed to introduce themselves. <laughs> well, I was going to say your wife. I guess I'm I'm the wife for the listeners in this role. Um, I'm the wife. Amanda no, I McLaughlin. liked it. I thought it was very funny. <laughs> I liked you. however you did it. Thank you. Thank you. Here's the thing. Hey, fellas, tell your wife she did a good thing. Just Aww, do that. Sweet. Just good, good advice. We are the only husband and wife podcasters out there, and we're recording another main feed replay. If you like these episodes, remember to join the Patreon, where we do a lot of these. Uh, we're getting back on track after doing a lot of stuff in Multitude. Uh, but, you know, I hope you've been enjoying this on the main feed. Um, and we got to do this in person in Manchester, which was fun. God, it was so fun. Yeah, it was good. And now we're back in New York City, best city of the world. Hey, forget about it. <laughs> exactly right. I can't add anything to it because I would say like caca, but that's not even the noise of a pigeon. <laughs> there you go. Get out of the way. Hey, fuck you. The pigeon said fuck you. Bacon, egg, and cheese with a hash brown. <laughs> that's that's how I know I'm home. Bacon, egg, and cheese, all one word. 100%. Bacon, egg, and cheese with a hash brown. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, as someone who didn't grow up eating pork products, I don't understand bacon. I really don't. Oh. Like, if bacon is there, I will eat it because sure. it's good, obviously. Yeah, tasty. Yeah, but I think because also in my early adult life, I went through the bacon personality craze. Oh. So I was very turned off by it. You're, so, so, wait, wait, wait. Say, say more about that. So you're, where were you in your, like, development as a person and relationship to pork when, like, oh, yeah, bacon-flavored candles was, like, the biggest thing? It was definitely right after I actually started, like— understanding pork products because still when i have you have to understand i grew up kosher which means i didn't eat any shellfish or pork for like the first 18 years of my life and i was like oh what is this weird tasting meat like accidentally when i ate like a meatball or something i'm like oh i don't like this um so i never like understood how to prepare it i never understood how it came from like obviously i knew what pepperoni was but i'm like i don't want this it's just this weird oily thing because like you eat beef ribs and like beef sausage and, yeah, like, yeah, and chicken sausage are, and stuff yeah and like hamburgers just hamburgers no cheese you know stuff like that Did i still feel turkey that turkey bacon ever yeah, sometimes, but it was like, meh. You What's know? the point? Yeah. Okay. Right, because it's not fatty. Turkey doesn't have the, the fat on it. So even then, I'm still wary about cheeseburgers. Like, I don't get it as much. Like, obviously, I get chicken parm more because, mm. again, cheese on chicken is, like, less uh, Ashonda to me. <laughs> it's less non-kosher to me than bacon cheeseburgers, which is, like, the epitome uh, double, of all double that. Double, double yeah. not. Yeah. yeah, the cheeseburger is, like, the epitome of that. So still, so when I started eating pork, I'm like, oh, sausage. Sausage is awesome. It's meaty. It's good. I get sausage, bacon, cheeses. But bacon is just crispy. Like, I didn't understand it. And then after, like, a few years of me getting over, like, the weirdness of pork and shellfish then bacon this was like bacon was pushed forward by the pork lobby if you don't know this act this yes. is true the pork lobby invested tons of money into making bacon into a personality trait because where bacon is on the pig it's like in the belly this is also before the like big asian food white people accepting asian food yes move that's been happening as like restaurant tours and food content has become true so so pork belly and bacon which comes from the belly were cheap cuts of meat yeah and this is kind of post like late 90s and early 2000s like extreme diet culture and cholesterol conscious culture for that yeah post atkins yep. this is just only eat vegetables mm -hmm. this is like when people discovered soybeans yep yeah. exactly right 
So it was just weird. I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get this thing at all. It's just this crunchy, weird thing. It's like, ooh, I have a mustache. Ooh, I like bacon. Okay, I guess. I just don't understand it. So yeah, I'm, I'm a sausage, egg, and cheese girly. Well, I have to ask, Eric, when we were recently uh, in England visiting uh, permanent guest Jasper in Manchester, we had English bacon, which is yes. uh, very different to American and Canadian bacon. Uh, what did you think of bacon as part of the traditional English breakfast fry-up that Jasper made for us? But that, that makes sense to me, is that he, on an English fry-up, because there's like 17 ingredients, yes. and also you have blood sausage or some other meaty thing happening at the same time, yeah. like bacon just for like dipping it's just one of one component instead of it being like oh my god it's the best thing in the entire world it's everything i have bacon on everything blah blah, blah. i'm like it's just crispy mm-hmm. it's just crispy tastes like the pan true true yeah so i just never got it anyway the point is i get sausage egg and cheeses nice yeah uh, eric was the first person to ever order a bacon egg and cheese or a sausage egg and cheese with the addition of a hash brown yes. uh and uh that would be our like late night routine after like going back you know to your apartment after you know going out or going to see friends whatever um because the bodega was right outside the subway and oh, that uh, place was the best that place is the best rip to a real one you need to understand people who don't live in new york city how nice it is to walk into a convenience store and they will give you a sandwich at 2 30 in the morning hot, hot sandwich, sandwich. Yeah. And you can get like a cold iced tea. A few times, you know, we would get like orange juice for the next morning or so like funny. an ice cream, like truly anything you could possibly want. Uh, anyway, and uh, having that that crispy potato right in that sandwich, man, nothing like it. I used to get that in high school. There was a deli nearby that I think served truckers because where my high school was, was kind of like in between highways. So you you had to drive like your big rig through local roads to get to the main highway for coming from somewhere else. So there's a 24-hour deli called Cameron's. I think you've been there before. Huge. And that's where I first put a hash brown on a sandwich. I think my brother did it first because his thing would be egg and cheese, hash brown, like jalapeno peppers, I think. Mm -hmm. And I was getting like a chicken cutlet sandwich at that point. Nice. Yeah. So that was his thing. Shout out to Tyler. Uh, But I'm stealing it because you're not on this podcast. (laughs) I'm so great that I came up with this. On my own. Why would you ask? Yeah. That's why the Trader Joe's um, hash brown is so good, because it's the closest thing I found to the hash brown you would get in a bodega or in a deli that they would put on that kind of sandwich. Ah, God, so good. Air fry that shit and then put it on a sandwich. I'm telling you, anything. It's incredible. And she she can stay in the freezer for months. Yeah. Now that it's the thing, like you air fry it and then you can put it like in the egg and wrap it around Mm -hmm. like it's a little envelope. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, the, that TikTok hack, you know, like one of the, the TikTok egg sandwich. Yeah. Just air fry while you're doing it, air fry a Trader Joe's potato mm-hmm. hash brown mm-hmm. and just slide that baby in. Just slip her in right like an envelope. Slide it in. It's a package to yourself. <laughs> it's a present to yourself in your mouth. Postmarked from Flavortown, delivered to my tum. You know it, baby. I'm loopy because of the amount of tomatoes I have eaten. I feel like my powers are coming back. It's going to get cooler. It is 95 degrees right now. We are on the way. I think the other problem is, is that we went to England during August, which August in New York City is nasty. It is like the most humid. It is in the 90s. It's terrible. The only thing about it is that it feels a little bit like a ghost town because all the rich people are gone. Yes. That's the one good part. That also like... 
then I swear government services in the subway are worse they because are. there are not no rich people there. Yeah. I know that like rich people don't take the subway, but still. So I it's like you're in a post-apocalyptic city. <laughs> so it's kind of nice there's less people, but you know it's worse. But you're like essentially yeah. swimming through the air. Yeah. But then we were in England and it was like in oh, the 70s. Blissful, bruv. In Manchester and Dublin. And I'm like, oh, uh-oh. This is good. Uh-oh. <laughs> I gotta go backward now. I'm wearing a sweatshirt. I'm wearing a jumper, and it's August. I know. For days, we would j- like Jasper and Jasper would, like open the window, and a cool breeze would come in, and we're like, oh, 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 oh. let's go! It is the number of times I said it was crisp. I said it enough that Jasper would say it back to me. Yeah. And of course, as a British person taking the piss, he would not change any element <laughs> of his voice and just say something mean. And I'm like, what's happening? I don't know what to do with this. But yeah, then he'd be like, yeah, it's crisp. It's crisp out. Like, we, like we ordered, it is. We ordered stouts. Like it was. Oh, it was so good. So good. But it Eric, good. it will be. It will be cooler soon. Your powers will be returning. You are near the apex of your year, which is the intersection, of course, of tomato and apple seasons. Uh, when you can, yeah. you can have one in each hand. Bite, 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 bite. Eric is happy. Yeah. Um, do you want to put some of that, like that gathering force, that energy, that momentum toward resolving the problems of other people on the internet? Always. I always will. Can I say one thing about a game that's giving me feelings really quickly? I don't have much to say about it yet, but I want to like posit it in here. Oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, over on the multi-crew feed, we, we have a new show called the multi-crew review, which Julia Shafini, who you might know from other shows is doing. And uh, I've decided to be the third episode of that. I'm going to do Majora's Mask. Tell me about this. The N64 game with Lonk in it. Uh, it is considered one of the best games of all time. Like, the, the N64 games, Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time are up there, top 10 games ever in most people's ranking, wow. right? I never played them because I didn't have an N64. My first console was a Sega Dreamcast. I need to interview my parents at one point to ask them why they got me a Dreamcast. I really should. I really should at this point. And I got a GameCube at, like soon after that, and I, I got an Xbox and everything. But the Dreamcast, they really chose that over the N64 and the PlayStation, which was out at the time. I, it must have been about like... Didn't we look at this and like the the Dreamcast was new the year they needed to buy or they wanted to thinking. buy you something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and I even though the previous one was better, there was a new one. And so they're like, all right, that was I'll the, get new the new one. one. Right, right, right. And listen, I played Rayman. I played Sonic Adventure. I played Power Stone. I, I liked the, the Dreamcast in the time that I had with it but um yeah i I just i never played it so uh, i've been kind of waiting for something else to come out there's been weird games coming out lately like Baldur's Gate 3, I just had no interest in playing. Uh, Starfield, which is a new thing from the people who made Skyrim, is coming out. And also, it's like, it's a Bethesda game. It's really unwieldy. It's probably really buggy. And it's odd. I might buy it, but I've had to wait a while because you got to, like, pay extra to get it a week early. And it's releasing this Friday. And it's on the PC. And I don't want to just sit in an office chair all the time. Fair. So my friend Kenny, who has a Triforce tattoo, was like, you should just play this. I'm like... Oh my god, you're right. I, I should. Especially, uh, I have an N64 and I have a, something called an EverDrive, which has every single N64 game on it, and I can just put it in there and hook it up. But also, I remembered that Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask are on the emulator, officially licensed by Nintendo on the Switch. Mm-hmm. So, And I have an N64 controller. You do. The one that's like, it's a Switch controller, but it's shaped like an N64 controller, and it's wireless, and it's really great. So I go, I'll just start doing it. I'm an hour in, and I already am like, oh, I see 
why this is a foundational text. Oh, I'm, I'm already so there. happy for you. That's amazing. And like, I have a walkthrough with me. The walkthrough is crisp because of how <laughs> important this game is. So it's super legible. Um, and I'm just having a good time already. I only played an hour this morning, and I think I'm just gonna keep playing through. But hopefully, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to beat the game by the time I record with Julia in like two weeks. But um, yeah, this is gonna be my new thing. Just as kind of guys, it's gonna take me maybe through September. And then October, soon enough, it's going to be big video game season again. New, new Mario for you. New Mario, October 20th. A lot of stuff is coming out. So very, I'm very interested in that. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'm excited to watch you play it. Thanks. Yeah, I'm already I'm already excited. The Skull Kid is already such an engaging enemy, and I've known him for an hour. And it's incredible how much of a dick he is and how powerful he is just from the jump. <laughs> <laughs> so much happens in the first 10 minutes in just cut scenes. Really? Even before you really even before you really start running, like there's some tutorializing stuff because I think Link you can't jump in Legend of Zelda, which I always thought was interesting. I think it's like to teach you the movement and the tutorial stuff. Literally, I learned so much. So much weird shit happens in the first 15 minutes. Wow. It's really really fun. That's amazing. So yeah, if you have Nintendo online, if you have online for the Nintendo Switch, you get these emulators for free. Just download them and play an N64 game. It's just like, it will really open your mind. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. Well, Erica, I have some questions here as we transition from summer into fall. Some seasonal questions. Oh, baby. Are you ready? Yes. Much an apple and a tomato in either hand yep. as I answer these questions. So we're going to start with the tomato hand. So we're going to start on the left hand here. Okay. Um, this is from Dr. Kwame Anthony Apia, uh, the New York Times' ethicist. Of course. Uh, a hot and fresh question from August 16th, 2023. Okay. And the game here is gamifying public space. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> I hate this. I think about this a lot. I think about how weird this is that this is in the New York Times. And the New York Times also shut down their sports section. So really? Because, well, because they bought The Athletic. Right. Which was supposed to be this, like, collection of online writers who were supposed to shut down local sports right, reporting, which is ridiculous. And the New York Times bought it. And then they're like, oh, Fuck our writers. We shouldn't have new we should not have New York Times sports writers. Shut it down and now the athletic are the only people there. So it's so wild that like this exists and at the same time the New York Times is shutting things down and also you can write whatever you want in the opinion section of the New York Times and no one will say anything. Yeah. And I just find the whole thing really, really odd. Well, this is an oddity that I am I am happy to have because uh as usual, I think we have a really interesting and decisive answer to this. But I want to know what you think. And uh, the other questions I do promise are about uh, actual legitimate games that other people would identify as games. Um, but <laughs> this one fine. I think is really interesting. So uh, the question goes, I live on Cape Cod and I've recently noticed something of a current trend. I live on Cape I know. It's tough. It's still a New York Times audience. I live on Cape Cod during the summer, Yep. you butthole. Yep. I bet you live in fancy Boston. I've recently noticed something of a trend in which beachgoers claim valuable and sometimes scarce real estate by arriving several hours early to set up chairs, blankets, and umbrellas before leaving to return, in some cases hours later, to move into their pre-claimed territory. Oh, okay. Right? Interesting. 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 I always thought you had to be on hand to occupy some piece of public space. Does an empty chair or blanket constitute actual occupancy? Do such phantom claims have any merit? Would someone have the right to ignore such maneuvers by removing these chairs or blankets? If so, what should be the response to the claimant who might return to find their items no longer claiming possession? Signed, full name here, Daniel Burt. Here's what I would say. First of all, Daniel Burt 
Great job putting your full first and last name. This feels like a classist question, right? It does. Like, these trashy people leave their stuff and then come back, which is kind of like, I already am getting that vibe, right? But if you are waking up at five in the morning and putting your stuff down, that's fair game. The beach is like the wasteland. You do whatever you can to survive because it's weird, right? It's hard and it's strange. And I think that you're allowed to do it. You're also chancing that someone might throw it away. I think that this question is stupid and also makes me feel like this person is like cares more about the right thing to do or societal rules than like getting down and dirty with humanity. Then just throw the chair away. If someone comes back and yells at you being like the wind took it. Why? Like that's what that's the chance these people have already acknowledged what happened to their stuff if they're gone. Someone might steal it. Like, I, I, that's what I, I already am getting the smacks of like, mm, well, the police will take care of it. Like, no, we don't. We don't call the police here. We just deal with our problems. Beach rules. I think they know. I think the people who are putting their stuff there and leaving, that's a wild gambit. Yeah. But really, you're putting yourself out there to be grabbed. What I'm picturing is like one parent or like the early riser comes down, stakes the claim and like leaves the stuff there, which is a bold move. I'm from the beach yeah. and I have never seen that shit before. Uh, you know, if anything, someone might like, you know, uh, hold more space than the parties that are currently there. So maybe there's like, you know, two of you and you spread out your chairs wide and then move them in as more people join you later. That I completely understand it. I have very firm rules in my head as to what is and isn't like a flagrant use of space on a beach, especially a crowded one. But if this is like, you know, Cape Cod, uh, people, you know, someone from like down the street, like set up some chairs and then like woke the kids up, brought them down an hour later, that I don't have a ton of problem with. But I do think you have to accept like you're saying, Eric, that like, if you leave the stuff there, you are trying to preserve the space. If you're not there to attend it, things might happen to it. Someone might take it. Someone might put it away. Someone might shift it. And that's kind of all fair. Would I do yeah. it personally? I think I feel like a bit of a dick if I did this. I don't think I would like go down to the hotel pool, you know, stretch out my beach towel and then go back up for breakfast and then come down later because someone could be using that space in the time that I'm gone. But someone might move your towel or throw it away. Which I think is fair and I don't have a right to get mad at it. Okay, here's the situation I'm saying. Imagine someone comes down and then their stuff is all thrown over, right? Your beach chair is somewhere else. Your towel yeah. is all is all sandy and your, your umbrella is thrown away. And then you're looking around and you're angry and this person's like, who moved my stuff? Who moved my stuff? And then no one's looking at them because they're, no one's taking responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Be because you weren't there. That's fine. That's the whole point of you not being there. That is a, you're just going to have to deal with it. Or you can be like, oh, yeah, I saw it earlier. Your stuff got blown over by the wind. Like, that's <laughs> just what you're going to have to deal with. Yeah. I, I think you, if you pull this maneuver, man, uh, power to you, but you can't be mad if something happens. This has real, like, I think the rules are going to benefit me, the ruling yes. class. Yes. That's the vibes I'm getting. Well, yeah, as he I, stands on his private porch looking over the public beach. <laughs> exactly. And I think that there's also some, like, towny and vacation tension here. Yes. The people who can put their stuff out on the beach and leave and go back are people who live in Cape Cod, not people who vacation in Cape Cod. Oh, and who, like, roll up at the minivans. That's what stuff. I'm thinking, yeah. yes. So that's 
why I'm feeling the tension in this question. This also reminded me of, and like Dr. Pia will talk about like public space, you know, and like the, sure. the, the idea of it. Um, but it reminds me too of like this like little, and I'm using the word gamifying, which I realize has a lot of like specific meaning among games, but it also means I think like making judicious use of space and resources. Um, and like this happens all the time in public space in the city, for example, like, you know, we'll arrive early to a bar and claim a table for friends, or I'll roll up to somebody and they'll say like, hey, are you using this bar stool? They're like, hey, my friend's coming in 20, but you're welcome to sit until then. Like that is that is normal. That is sharing resources. And that is like, yeah, like if you're here, if you've claimed it, if someone like went to the bathroom, if someone, you know, I thought it was uh, abandoned, the person comes back later. Like, fair enough, dude. Like the puzzle pieces have to intersect a little bit because there is a finite amount of space to go around. Why this man is concerning himself with this question while he sits on his porch, I don't know. Right. But, Daniel seems to be like, mm, the comps won't do anything. So uh, New York Times, will you tell me I'm right? But I do think the question of how long is too long and what you have a right to be mad about if you return and it's disturbed is interesting. And that's what Dr. Apia talks about. All right, please. So he says, the aim of such public space is to allow as many people as possible to make proper use of it. That aim is undermined by absentee claims that prevent others from enjoying a spot on the beach for extended periods. I don't know he if says, I agree with that. It's fine to leave evidence of occupancy if you're going off to get ice cream or visit a restroom. If you do this, it might be wise to leave an explanatory note. 10.15, buying a snack back by 10.45. That, I think, is whack. I would no, totally never whack. do that. No. <laughs> um, that's within the spirit of social convention. But your beach blanket buccaneers are abusing the convention and effectively privatizing what should be public. I feel this way about the park. I don't feel this way about the beach. I think it depends very much how crowded the beach is. I have been to lots of beaches. The beach where my mom works, like every square inch of space will be occupied by somebody. And I think if you, you know, drop stuff early to get like a prime oceanfront view and like set up a little like fence or your umbrellas or coolers, things like that, and don't come for many hours. On the one hand, I'm sympathetic because like I'm from a big family and it's hard to find like actually space to have eight beach chairs or whatever. But also like you got there later and the person who got there first like should be able to use it and then leave for the late crowd. But humans treat property without surveillance badly. True. That's what I'm saying. That's what you are chancing. So That's because why... you take that risk, it's like if it works good and if it doesn't work, you took the risk and it didn't work. Right. So like yeah. on the lowest level, P, what if someone walks through your stuff? What if someone kicks sand on your stuff when they're yeah. running by? There's really small things. On the largest level, this is why people have security cameras. Because the deterrent of being watched, humans act better. Mm -hmm. So if your stuff is not there, someone will just mess with your shit or do whatever to it because they will not be held responsible. That's what I'm saying the risk is. I think that this is this is without in a vacuum, without the context of how humans actually interact. That's really interesting. And that's what I'm saying. It, it feels very, like, rule booky, very state. Yes. Uh, and we'll actually touch on that at the end. So um, Dr. Apia continues, at the same time, moving other people's things isn't to be done lightly. You'll certainly want to be sure their owners haven't just stepped away for an acceptable interval. The social conventions about claiming areas in these public settings are not, of course, precise. Half an hour or so strikes me as a good marker in most circumstances, but take a poll among people you know. If the beach spot hogs return when you're around, you can show them where their possessions are and tell them that you waited for a while and assume they weren't returning. Right. Just do that. Just do that and then take your chances. Yeah. Uh, he says it's best when these issues are settled through social rather than statutory means. Certain beach towns in Spain, I'll note, punish such infractions with stiff fines on beach spot hogs. The Italian Coast Guard has even seized unattended towels, umbrellas and chairs, holding them until their owners pay a penalty. Honestly, I think that that's so much better. 
This is like when someone says like, oh, we'll deal with this on a case by case basis. No, have it in a book so that you can deal with the. You need to have something to refer to first. No one is just going to accept like, oh, well, you're not supposed to do that. Like the social order does as demonstrated by how people are acting in movie theaters right now. No one cares. You need some sort of enforcement. So either there's a rule or there's no rule and you, you know, take it up kind of with fate. Exactly. Either yeah. there's a rule or there are no rules and then we're competing. Fascinating. Yeah. Do you want to hear what New York Times readers thought of this response? Boof. Boof. All right. Let's see what happens. Okay. So someone called Dave thinks 30 minutes is too short for the the kind of over-under rule. We might take long walks, hang out in the ocean, etc. If someone came back and had moved their stuff, they would be mad. Um, I agree. You could swim for an hour. You could go to the beach for an hour, which I think to me is like, hey, if your stuff's there, your stuff's there. Like, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not ever going to move someone else's stuff to get a better spot for me at the beach. Yeah. Um, someone called Christine says, I'm a local resident of an extremely popular beach vacation destination. So there's that like townie versus vacation or tension you're talking about. My family and I move back and forth between the beach and our house all day long. It would be impractical and silly to haul our stuff back and forth with us. Those who give us dirty looks are usually tourists. Ding, ding, ding. We welcome them, but expect a bit of welcome in return. That includes respect for our customs, a part of which is leaving our chairs and other items on the beach. Yeah. I, this is the equivalent of saying, like, wow, it's unfair that you started lining up in front of this store at one in the morning to get exclusive item. Mm -hmm. If the beach, if beachfront property <laughs> is exclusive item, then showing up at like six, dropping your stuff and then coming back, that's the move. Yeah. Uh, Malcolm says, as someone who also lives on a beach, I never even considered this to be an issue until the columnist made it one. Yes. Part of beach culture is letting go and not caring as much as one normally would about trivial matters. For me, claiming beach real estate with an empty chair falls into this category, especially when there's plenty of beach to go around. And multiple other people said, those beaches are very spacious. They are never as crowded as a New York City beach. Mm. Uh, I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> yeah. R.I.P. Jimmy Buffett. He wants everyone to just vibe out. I know, truly. Yeah, I, I, what is, is there a spot on a beach that's so good you cannot find a spot latitudinally or longitudinally, <laughs> longitudinally as good? No, I mean, again, me growing up, like, there is finite real estate in that, like, literally there might not be space to put a towel or a chair down. And the parking lots might be full and you can't even, like, actually park and, like, go to that beach. Um, so that's the only situation versus, like, visiting. But then you would need to claim. I feel like that yeah. would create even more need to do this. Oh, it yeah, would be people set up there all day long. But then it's like, okay, well, then I'm going to go to beach at five. Yep. And put my stuff down. But I still didn't need to drive there. That's what I think. That's what I can't wrap my head around. This is only a problem if you think that, like, someone can teleport. Yes. And, and they have butlers or magic <laughs> or a genie carrying their stuff. They're still doing the action of walking to and driving to the beach, carrying all their stuff and putting it down at an early time. Yeah. What do you think if people did this overnight? What if they left their stuff there overnight? Then, lots, then of, you, lots of like anti-homelessness and anti-camping rules like are are fucked up. But like in theory, if somebody is like, OK, great. End of a beach day. Love this. Going to like set up my station, come back in the morning. Imagine leaving your stuff at the beach for 12 hours. What would they what would happen to it? Anything. 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 If it works, I think you reap your rewards. And if it doesn't, fair enough. Yes, exactly. I think you're rolling. You're, it is so much up to chance that your stuff will still be OK. Not even from someone stealing it. From it getting blown over, from it getting all sandy, from crabs getting in there, from it getting all wet. Birds what if it rains? Birds on it. Birds. Birds might roost on it. Yeah. They're ignoring the risk of leaving your stuff out. And assuming, yeah, it'll work. Yeah. 
Honestly, I really like that Italian statute. I honestly think that that's, that's really helpful. Right on. Well, thanks for coming on that journey with me. Yeah. Either have a rule or don't have a rule. Don't have neither. Hey, it's Eric, and I made some cupcakes with Multitude M on it because it's the multi-crew drive. Did you know that the best way you can support Multitude is joining the multi-crew, which is our membership program that lets you, our listeners, fund new work for Multitude and get exclusive perks? That's why, from now until October 1st, we're running the multi-crew drive. We are putting two weeks aside to highlight the ways your support makes a difference and how that support then gets paid back to you, our community. Our goal? We're going to add 100 new and upgrading members to the multi-crew by October 1st. By joining the multi-crew for as little as $5 a month, you get access to amazing perks like Head, Heart, Gut, our exclusive podcast, access to multi-crew-only channels on the Discord, and so much more. Here's how it works. Anyone who joins or upgrades by October 1st will get our brand new This Mug Supports Conversational Podcast that brings people together mug. It is so awesome. Zoe has done a wonderful job designing it. Our friend over at DFTBA. And anyone who is an annual will be immortalized in our We Put 2023 on Our Back plaque, which we're hanging up in the office. We want to say that annual plans are particularly helpful to us because we can count on a full year of support instead of varying month to month. And you get a discount for two months free when you sign up for an annual. So that's why you get to go on the plaque if you are an annual. To join the multi-crew, head to multicrew.club to sign up for your annual membership before October 1st and receive amazing perks plus the mug and be on the plaque if you're an annual member. Remember, sign up for an annual membership at multicrew.club and join the multi-crew and producer-level patrons Polly Burge, Kelsey Duffy, and Peyton are definitely multi-crew members and they uh, will just tell you how cool and neat it is. We are sponsored today by Creart by Ravensburger. Did you know that Ravensburger produces more than just classic jigsaw puzzles and board games that we know so well? Introducing Creart by Ravensburger, the ultimate painting by number experience. You'll find everything you need to start your artistic journey today with these carefully curated painting by number kits. Whether you're a seasoned artist taking on a new challenge or a beginner eager to explore the world of painting, Ravensburger's kits cater to all skill levels and ages. Embrace the therapeutic benefits of painting by number as you melt the stresses away of daily life and find solace in the act of creation without facing the pressure of a blank canvas. Easily explore Ravensburger's wide selection of enchanting designs on Amazon, ranging from majestic landscapes to adorable animals and everything in between. Let your imagination run wild and embrace the joy of painting with Creart by Ravensburger. Shop for Creart on Amazon today! And now, back to the show. Oh, hold on. I'm getting breaking news from Whoa. the internet. Whoa. From the internet. Amanda, I have something. I have a social question in response to yours. Whoa. I have some. This has been going around the internet for the last few days. Um, this has been tweeted out by Lila Bjock. Um, and I have to share it. This is from the social questions of the New York Times. Oh, no. Uh, this was tweeted on September 3rd. Someone did send this to the Games and Feelings Twitter after I had already grabbed it and I wanted to do it for you. But I really wanted to tell you. So, like, you know, things blow up in the internet. People love advice questions. That's why you take screenshots of Am I the Asshole and it goes viral. Mm -hmm. And the New York Times loves being ridiculous and letting ridiculous people air themselves out. Can I ask you a question about clones? I wish you would. Can I ask you a question about clones? 
I wish you would. All right. Would I fuck my clone? So the answer is, I think the age gap would ultimately be the deciding factor for me. <laughs> if I were to be cloned, my clone would be born as a newborn, and we would be 32 years apart in age. And I just don't think that's really appropriate until very late in life, in which case, I don't want to sleep with the 32-year-old me. Fair, fair, fair. Okay. This was answered by Philip Galanis, who I guess they have a, a column called Social Cues. Uh, Q being the letter Q for question. Um, this was Q apostrophe S? Yeah, Q apostrophe S. I don't like that. I don't no, think I don't it like needs the apostrophe. All. I don't like it all. It's not possessing anything. This was not screenshotted. It was a photo of an actual newspaper. So this is in print, baby. Yes. The gray lady is, is printing this stuff down. This is from someone named Dog Mom. And the title is Custody of a Clone. My partner and I went through a breakup recently. During our relationship, he developed a close bond with my dog. Also, whenever I hear someone say partner and they're in a heterosexual relationship, I'm like, what are you hiding? Mm. What are you hiding? What kind of social? I did it for a while and then I'm like, girlfriend. Like, I feel like once I realized I wanted to drop it by the time I hit fiance. Mm. But I feel like when you say partner, I feel like someone's hiding something. I know the point of it because like girlfriend is infantilized, is kind of infantilizing a little bit. Mm-hmm. But also like something's going on here. You're really oh, posturing. You're posturing. <laughs> what do you mean bisexual? What's happening here? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something involved. Okay. My partner and I went through a breakup recently. During our relationship, he developed a close bond with my dog. As the dog grew older, we joked about cloning her to keep her in our lives. Then the joke became a reality. People can do this? This isn't just a dream of the early 2000s Time magazine. What will the future be like? (laughs) When my dog turned 12, we cloned her. It's been a joy to see her as a baby. Oh, boy. Pause. Do you have any questions? I mean, how much this costs primarily? I'm sure a lot. And did the cloned dog, was the cloned dog born while the older dog was still alive? If so, did that provoke? We're going to add, these questions okay. are going to be answered. These oh, questions boy. are going to be answered. Both those oh, questions are going to be answered. Oh, okay. boy. Oh, uh, boy. It's been a joy to see her as a baby. I rescued her when she was older. Then came the breakup. I'm keeping the older dog, but we can't agree who should take the younger oh, one. No. Now, I want to put a pause in this. This is one of those things like the word hoverboard and the word <laughs> AI, where you take a sci-fi concept, but really it's something much more mundane and stupid. I think what they did was they took DNA from the dog yeah. and used it and put it in an embryo and then got little dog. Got puppy. Well, I think science fiction wants us to think that the the clone is popped out at the same life cycle. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Exactly. So, like, I mean, you're right. Like, genetic cloning is not the same. <laughs> like, twins are genetic clones. They're still different. You know, like that. Uh, fine. Um, but my question is, how do you make just one? Puppies are almost always born in multiples. I think it's the test tube thing. I think maybe it was, like, incubated in, like, a, I don't know. But I assume in my head, I don't know if they put it into a dog. Maybe they incubated it the whole time. Because even when, obviously, this gets into, like, some touchy subjects for people, but, like, you're typically fertilizing multiple eggs or embryos for making sure that there's, like, a viable, um, you know, organism at the end. So, I mean, one, cloner again. B, I'm surprised there aren't multiple. Well, I mean, from what I understand, it seems like they only made one. Because sure. we are going to, we're going to talk about the price at the end, and I oh, think that's going to be why. It's, it, right. The price is there. The price oh, is boy. there. I mean, do you have a... a a knee-jerk reaction as to who should keep which dog? Hold on. Okay. Then came the breakup. I'm keeping the older dog, but we can't agree on who should take the younger one. I think of her as part of my dog and want to keep her. He argues that this is selfish of me and we should each get a dog in the breakup. Note, he paid most of the cloning costs. Do you want to guess? 
$20,000. About $50,000. Whoa. Oh, that makes me sick. And we share dog care. Thoughts? Um, He should keep the new dog. He should keep the new dog. He should keep the new dog. He should keep this the is new not dog. a question. No. Damn. Wow. $50,000? $50,000. So that's why I think it's like, it's kind of a bespoke service. If it's $50,000, this is like a rich people thing. Yeah, And yeah. it's like, I'm going to get you a baby version of your dog. Sure. And like, without... again, total, I, total, total empathy for why someone would want this. Yeah. I totally get it. If you have the money to spend on it, I can have my choices about what I would spend the money on. But like, okay, fine. I think about so often how all humans want is the things they have and themselves to never die. And yes. how much people spend on this. Yeah. Because I mean, no one ever wants to grieve. No, it's it's 100% true, and I think there are all kinds of, like, very interesting, you know, philosophical questions we can get into, all of which boil down to the the new dog is a new organism. And regardless of where its genetic material came from and the, you know, behaviors or qualities that might remind you of the older dog, the older dog is, you know, has its own life experience, was rescued before you had it. Uh, you have all are memories with them. Are you going to them. nature versus nurture this clone dog? Yeah, I'm saying the new dog is not property of the old dog or the woman who originally rescued her. I think if anything, it's about who paid for the dog. And the answer is the uh, male partner. Yeah, no, I agree. Also, like, hey, you have dog and then I want new dog. Also, I paid for majority. Yeah, it sounds it like it was not, his idea. This, this argument of this is piece of my dog, I get to keep it is so ridiculous. This is like the Taylor Swift question. Yeah. I already saw Taylor Swift, but I want to see Taylor Swift again. This is the same question. I have dog. I want dog again. Again, I, I completely empathize with why she would want that. She did not pay for it. She is getting the older dog who was her dog before they got, you know, together uh, with the partner. And they should each get a dog in the breakup. Sorry. How much do you think he paid most of the cloning costs are? Well, how much do you think the division was of $50,000? Good question. At least 75% is, was my headcanon. Let me, hold on, let me do the math really quickly. Would you be what, 35? Yeah, in my head, what she's, so 75% of 50K is 37,500. Yeah. In my head, I'm like, she's trying to make it sound like, she's writing out that it seems like she paid 15,000 and he paid 35,000. Do you think it was really like 45, 5? I don't know, but I think any amount more than half makes it his decision to take the dog or not. Yeah. Or this is something you should have talked about before uh, doing it. Like if you had bought a house together and one person paid more than half for the house or pays the majority of the, you know, the bills um, or the mortgage each month, it's their house to do with what they want, even if you're emotionally attached to the house. Right. Isn't this thing even if like it was your childhood home that the partner bought when like your parents died or sold it or something else like okay, or you built a simulacrum of your childhood home on a new property and he paid for it. It's his house. I know that contracts make things un unromantic, but then here we are. Yeah. <laughs> asking the New York Times what to do with my dog clone. Yeah. Yeah. I you, can't believe this is a real question in the year of our Lord 2023. Um, this is what they're focused on. Wow. $50,000 for dog clones. Again, completely get it. I'm sure a lot of people out there would be like, yeah, if I had that, I'd absolutely, you know, have another it's 10, 12 years with my dog. for money, right? yeah. Like, people pay that on, like, first-class airfare round trip to, like, Abu Dhabi, you know, now. Like, that's a worse use of 50 grand, you know. Uh, but I... Is it? 
I if you are so. going to Abu Dhabi, I feel like you're going for a good reason. And like, imagine just having a good time on a massive flight like that. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. But I I'm, think saying, for, it's, it's I'm no, just saying that first class flights, I think, are worth the money. I think that is that is a worthwhile splurge. It's just like, you know, if if that amount of money is something you can spend, you know, spending it on another 10 or 12 or 15 years with a, a, a dog or a dog that reminds you of the dog that you loved. I get it. Um, he paid for it. It's his dog. If it makes you feel all better, because, like, we don't have $50,000 to clone dog no. either. If it makes you feel any better, remember, money doesn't solve happiness. No, it doesn't. It really These people doesn't. are still writing to the New York Times to solve a dispute. Right. Like, <laughs> obviously, we're here. Obviously, money doesn't give you happiness, but it sure does make the hard things way less hard. Yes. And opens doors that don't exist. But if this question... Rich people are so miserable. They're so miserable, and they're writing into the New York Times because Dog Mom does not have anyone else she can talk to in her life, or she has talked to a lot of people, and she's gotten mixed responses, and she's yeah. not, and she's feeling unfulfilled, and her social circle is shaken. I wish so, this was made up, but I know it's not. No, it's very real. Yeah, very real. Damn. Oh, Leela Biak used to uh, be a fact checker of the New Yorker, which is really funny. Also, perhaps the Rolls Royce of fact checkers. No yeah. one, they don't fuck around with their fact checking at, yeah. New York, at the New Yorker. She also seems to be a writer, but that, I'm just looking at her Twitter bio. That was the first thing that jumped out to me. I thought it was funny. That's very funny. God, imagine you take a screenshot of um, your hard copy of the New York Times a and then it goes viral. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, I said screenshot, a photo. <laughs> yeah, a photo. It's funnier than it's a photo. Oh, my dad sends me photos of his paper Wall Street Journal all the time. But then, Yeah, no, but that makes sense because the Wall Street Journal is terrible. Uh, yeah, paywalling. All, online yeah. paywalling. That makes sense. Incredible. Uh, Eric, do you want to hear about some fun pranks? <laughs> is a prank a game? Yeah, it can be. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here's one from Dear Prudence. Uh, from July of 2023. Question goes, Dear Prudence, is it wrong to screw with people who think I'm adopted? I'm Korean. My brother is white. When people meet us both or see a photo of him, they assume I'm the adopted one. But in fact, he was adopted into our family. Let's go. <laughs> Most of the time, I just explain that. But sometimes they catch me or him in a mood. Yeah, I, I'm already going to get ahead of this and say, yes, it's totally fine. People love saying the things that they're thinking out loud. Yes. They love it. They love it. Yes. And to point out when people are not white, which is a very weird thing that yeah. they should not do. It's like, we we know you are making an assumption right now, but just like, give it a second. They'll probably, it will probably come out in some sort of way. Or not be your business. Yeah. <laughs> or, or you'll move on. Uh, so. Because like already I'm envisioning, I'm sorry, already I'm envisioning that. The first thing they say, that someone says, is like, "Oh, you, so you're adopted? That's cool. a wild thing to say. That's a wild somebody. thing to say from someone they just met. Yes, that's wild. Or you see a person with a baby on the street, be like, "Is that your baby? Like, what? If you have this question, be friends with them for a number of situations. Be like, I've had this question. I know it's so terrible." How, what's going on? What's going on here? Because, like, you can't lead with that. What? I love that first impressions don't matter for, like, people who have these thoughts. Yes. And cannot keep them inside their brain. Exactly. They're like, well, my right to know your life story and make you fit into my mental model is way more important than whatever you're going to correctly conclude about me. That this is the first thing I say to you. Yeah. I'm already, it's like, the question that this person, the question asker needs to ask. Before they're giving a great prank, which I'm very excited <laughs> to hear, which is why I want to get ahead of it, because I don't want to be colored. 
I don't even want, I want to be on their side even before they say this about being justified. Yeah. We are so much more concerned with shaming the person who says the retort to something insulting than the person who said something insulting from the beginning. And that drives me crazy. I say this a lot and I need to remind myself of it a lot and be like, oh no, someone who's an asshole to me doesn't like me anymore. Oh no. Like it really does boil down to that. I should not care what this person has to say about me because they were rude to me from the jump or they are constantly rude to me. And then I finally said something like, no, I don't think that this person should feel bad at all because they were disrespected from the beginning. Yeah. I think that, uh, I was socialized and a lot of people are taught as kids to keep the peace above all else. And that pointing something out or making a problem or calling attention to something that is actively harming yourself or someone else Mm -hmm. is, uh, ruder than the original infraction, because if no one talks about it, then no one has to deal with it. And that upholds a lot of white supremacist, like capitalist structures in our country. Christian supremacists. Exactly. White Christian, because that's what it means. Yeah. That's what white supremacy means. It does. It also means you're, you're all good Christians and you all constantly turn the other cheek. Exactly. And, you know, forgiveness will come at the end of your life, uh, not based on things that you do or earn or change your behavior to reflect. Um, So it's something that I'm that I am also like actively like working through and challenging my own assumptions and first reactions uh, when, you know, seeing things happen in public. And it's why I think things like, you know, saying to somebody that's not appropriate to say or why would you say that to that person or one of Danny Lavery, the previous Dear Prudence's uh, favorite retorts was like, what a strange thing to say Um, just to I think 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 that's that's not enough. I don't think that's good. I I think think that that. continues to uphold the social that is the retort you can tell your friends you clapped back with but someone can continue to elide over in conversation which is why i don't like it because it doesn't actually matter what made the person think it was appropriate to say the thing that you need to say is that's not appropriate to say and you owe them an apology yeah or are you going to be or you immediately clap back with something it's like well you said something mean to me so i'm going to say something mean back to you like of course or you can prank them so or you can prank you can continuing prank. <laughs> continuing this letter last time it happened my brother visited me at work and a coworker saw us and commented tally i didn't know you were adopted so i acted confused and my brother suddenly roared she didn't know we never told her why would you do that <laughs> That's such a Lorelai Gilmore-ass response. I love that. That's so funny. I didn't even think that was the prank. I didn't even think that was what they were going to say. That's great. No, that's that's really right. good. Because it immediately casts the thing that someone said as absurd. It immediately puts absurdity upon the thing you've said, which mm-hmm. is why I like it a lot. Me too. Uh, other people at work think I was unfair and should apologize. Oh, uh, at work? Oh, see? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, so the brother visited uh, Tally, the letter writer, at work, and a co-worker is like, yo, I didn't know you were adopted, Korean co-worker, talking to a white boy. Like, oh my God, come on. Okay. Uh, other people at work think I was unfair and should apologize. I'll acknowledge they're probably right, if only because a six-foot-two ginger teenager yelling at you unexpectedly would throw anyone. I see that. But I feel like that's only a social lubrication apology, and I'm not 100%. in the wrong here. Yeah. If I was adopted and I want to talk about it, I would probably have already told them wouldn't i i think also if you really need to you can be like my brother's a teenager what i'm not going to apologize for a 18 year old Mm -hmm. like come on yeah he's a child you which i I don't agree with but if you really need to get along to get along be like my brother's crazy i didn't tell him to do that like why do you need to apologize yeah that's ridiculous that is like 
intentionally making someone overcorrect because you don't like them. That's ridiculous. And I think it's your right to act confused when someone asks you a buckwild question. Like, I'm sure this happens to Tally all the time. And if she wanted to be like, what do you mean? Like, why would you say that? And make the coworker be like, well, you're Korean. He's white. Like, good. Like, then, I know like, you okay. should make someone say that. Right. Uh, it's like, hey, I'm, I'm holding my iPhone out to record this. What did you, yeah. what did you mean by Sorry, that? what? What do you mean by that? Yeah. yeah. Um, which is another good question that can lead into telling somebody why the thing they said is whack. But I thought that was an incredible prank. Um, I don't think they did anything wrong. Uh, and I think you're totally right, Eric, that you can say, you know, oh, you know, he's a teenager. What can you do? Um, it's like, you know, we get this question a lot and my teenage brother is tired of it. So my teenage brother did something ridiculous. Yep. And your teenage brother will be like, yeah, fine, whatever. Yeah. It's also like, I don't know. It's on It's on people who are adopted to disclose and consent to talking about that if they do or don't want to. And so the brother is also getting dragged into discussions of adoption all the time that he might not necessarily want. I also want to push back on Question Asker a little bit to un, un anxious them. This isn't a prank. This was a, a, a social response. This is a funny response. Yeah, it was just a funny response. It wasn't even a prank. Like well, a prank, a prank would be if you continued this, if you lied to your coworker consistently saying that you had a white family, that would be a prank. And then you photoshopped yourself into <laughs> photos and then kept those white family photos on your desk. That would be a prank. This was just a, a, a joke. This was a joke. Okay. All right. I, I think you're right. I called it a prank to slip it in here because I thought it was such a good question. Um, but I. Oh, I thought the question asker wrote the same no, no, prank. Okay, no, no, I'm saying it's a prank. No, it's fine. Um, no, but you, you're right. You're not. You're not misleading your coworkers into assumptions based on their like presumption of whiteness, which I think would also be, you know, uh, arguably funny. And and you're right to do. Um, but this is this is simply you responding to a invasive, insensitive, and racist question that you get frequently. Mm. Good job. All right. What did uh? What did Janae Desmond Harris say. Yes. So she said, your brother's very funny. I love that he took the lead when it came to responding to your coworkers' assumptions that were based on not quite racist, but race-related stereotypes and rude. What if you were adopted and you were sensitive to it? The person wasn't tiptoeing around your feelings. So if you're going to be invasive and outspoken about other people's personal business, you get what you get. Right. So you can say, I'm sorry if my brother's yelling was jarring for you and leave it at that. If you want to go a step past that and create a little bit of a teaching moment, you could add something like, we use humor to deal with other people's assumptions and invasive questions. <laughs> Which I think is, again, a, you know, a little bit. It's a little a much, barbed but response, it's pretty good. But fair enough. That's your right. I like it. That's good. Nice. And Eric, I'm going to um, echo here a topic that we are talking about on the Patreon replay, again, patreon.com slash games and feelings, um, because it is football season. It's football season, baby, on the gridiron. It is fantasy football season. It is also fantasy football season, wizards on the gridiron. I'm not sure really what that means, but I appreciate your enthusiasm. What do you mean? What's the gridiron? The gridiron. Okay, so you... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, because so you know how those are the all those hash marks on a football field? Sure. Uh, never mind. The gridiron is just a nickname for a football field. Okay. Yeah. Like like the court. Yeah. Okay. The rink. Well, that no. old gridiron. <laughs> the gridiron, yeah. Can we call it the waffle iron? If you want to. Okay, thank I, you. I'll, I'll keep you from Okay, thank you, know, you. The number of TikToks I've seen lately of, this must be a thing going on with people who got married. Wait, with like early. wives and football and stuff? With wives and football, the new thing is that guys throw in in a fantasy football league, but their wives draft for them without any help. 
pretty good. So that's like a new thing. It's like a tra- it's a trend happening right now. I mean, I get that it's a gendered stereotype, but I think it's pretty funny. Well, <laughs> it's all well. The the funny thing is because the women only draft people they know from being husbands of reality show players. I mean, that's what I would do. People. Yeah, no, it's good. It's yeah. funny. So like, it's kind of a funny premise, but like, it's kind of wild that this is like a, becoming a thing on TikTok. Yeah, I've seen like at least six different instances. Of it happening. And then all of the people are all white and all blonde. So, you know, like, it's happening in the Midwest and in that area. Yeah, it's really playing on these, like, heteronormative stereotypes. But I, I do think that, like, partner who doesn't know as much about this makes the part, you know, has, like, does the choosing or the strategy for the partner who does. Um, my version of this, Eric, is that, so someone that I follow who is a reality TV, like, commenter asked her husband to name as many cast members as he could of the show that he does not watch, but she does, just oh, from sure. her talking about it. Oh, yeah, this is like a content thing. How yeah. it's like, oh, person who does not know thing, do it. And, right. But it's kind of funny how this is like moved into IRL life, but only as an expression of content creation. Yes. But it does seem like the wives are making the content while the guys are trying to run a fantasy football league. But I also like, you know, fantasy football leagues, they're guys trying to do something. No one wants to organize it. So it might also be like an excuse to give women <laughs> the organizational tasks. Yeah, to have them like third shift to your hobby. Yeah, uh, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, listen, if everyone's having fun, I think that's really fun. Um, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's interesting that, that is this interesting. is becoming a thing. I mean, it does It does make me prickle a little bit at like, oh, like, is, is there yeah, but, uh, here? but ultimately it's funny because Man, they get the worst teams. Ultimately, it's it is so really funny. Fun. It's great. And then they need to figure out what happens. And I, I feel similarly when I talk to you about Big Brother, which is Check's calendar September still going on. Uh, and you're like, I, I know the names by now. You can you can tell me what's I happening. Them. I know them, yeah. <laughs> anyway, here is our question. It was posted in the subreddit Fantasy Football nine years ago. <laughs> 2014. 2014. This was firmly within the fantasy football boom. Is Fantasy football is actually losing market share because of how popular sports betting is. Now that sports betting is legal and it is big business and lots of big companies, uh, you know, the people putting on the football games and reporting on sports are deeply invested in it. It's kind of like fantasy football's losing market share because people would much rather bet. But um, so it's kind of interesting that this is happening like in the teeth of the fantasy football boom. Uh, I thought you would have exactly that context, uh, which is great. And so the, the question is short, but I think fascinating. All please, right? please. Uh, the subject line is anybody else keep almost telling a friend in their league about this sub subreddit. But don't to keep the advantage. (laughs) The body of the post goes, some of my best friends in our league get their advice from Bleacher Report and such. It pains me to watch them, but I must keep my secret weapon. This is so funny. Nine years ago, we're still complaining about the content, the quality of content coming out from (laughs) websites. Bleacher Report, yeah, yeah. Yeah, from Bleacher Report. Um, This is really funny. What is the question? (laughs) Feeling bad? Does anyone else have this dilemma where you want to tell a friend because this is helpful and better than Bleacher Report, but don't so you can keep your advantage? Honestly, it's called our fantasy football. I'm surprised that this is also when Reddit was big, when Reddit, when everyone. Well, no, I guess it was. Well, I guess I should ask you because you were on Reddit much before me. Yes. How was Reddit truly only for people who run Linux on their computer at this time? Uh. 
casuals, people who had Chrome on their iPhones were using Reddit. Ah, there it is. So uh, uh, slightly like internet geek, but slightly more casual. Around this time, I actually uh, went on a date with somebody from Reddit and didn't tell a single person in my life about it because they would have been like, whoa. <laughs> it's like saying you, you know, hired someone on Craigslist site unseen for like a job, which people did, but uh, was not uh, normal or socially acceptable. So uh, it is, you would have to explain the concept of Reddit to somebody. And even if you didn't know about Reddit, you'd probably be like, oh yeah, like those haters, like blah, blah, blah. It, you know, it it wasn't accepted as a, a sort of multiverse of, you know, small communities like it is now. Yeah. So what I'm thinking is you would have had to be a specific type of person to be on Reddit and find value from it at yes. this time. So no, I don't feel bad about it. And then at the same time, it's called our fantasy football. It's not like it has a silly name. It's not obscure. No, this is not like sharing your good torrenting hookup with a friend <laughs> when you want to like be the one providing them all their torrents. Yeah, I think about like men's fashion tips. Like men's fashion has always been like a weird bugbear. I know that it's been happening a lot more now that that one guy blew up on, on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then like TikTok has a lot of really good men's fashion oh, stuff. Oh, yes. But there was a, the men's fashion subreddit. It didn't feel like something you would Google. Or something yes. you would look for. No. But our fantasy football would be like, oh, I wonder if there's a fantasy football community on Reddit. You should know. So, yeah. no, I would not feel bad. And also, play to win, baby. You play to win the game. All right. Secondary question. This is from uh, Captain Cliche, uh, a comment on this post. A few years ago, my buddy found this sub. And I noticed he posted something asking for advice about a trade proposal in one of his leagues, a league I was in, about a trade I'd offered him. So I decided to respond to his post advising him to accept the trade. And he did. Let's go. Is that just underhanded enough? Or yeah, you're a detective. No, okay. that's you being okay. like a detective. Okay. That's you being a noir detective. You're Humphrey Bogart in that situation. <laughs> you're not doing something evil and underhanded. That's very funny. Also, you should check. You got to check to see. This is a main, this is a thing that happens on D&D posts a lot. Yes. Where it's like, hey, if you're in my party, stop reading. <laughs> it happens all the time. And the fact that someone was not preventative in something that would happen like yeah. this, that's really funny. Congratulations, Captain. Uh, amazing. Someone else said, like, they use a secondary account on this sub specifically because some of their friends know their, like, primary Reddit username, which also buck wild to me. Reddit should never be close to your real identity, in my no, opinion. No, you're conflating Reddit and AO3 together. Uh, I disagree with you. I think that's my error of the internet. I don't think that's a that's a truism of everybody. But, um, yeah, you got to you gotta use all of your advantages. You got to. You got to. This is really funny. I love this. Well, thanks for re-answering these questions with me, honey. No, it's good. I like it. Thanks for uh, taking my emergency uh, emergency question as well. Anytime. Hell yeah. All right. Well, that's the episode. Amanda, what's going on in your life? Oh, you know. Um, high holidays. Atoning. Um, yeah. Playing a little block game on my phone. That makes me very happy. <laughs> and I disabled cellular service and I turn off the Wi-Fi when I use it so they can't serve me very obnoxious ads. That's great. Still watching Big Brother. Still watching Big Brother. I'm going to be watching Big Brother, Eric, until November 2nd. That's when you're plugging, you're plugging Big Brother? No, I'm just, you asked what I'm doing. That's what oh, I'm that's doing. What I'm doing. watching Big Brother to. until November 2nd. Uh, no, nah, but you can follow all my projects online at She's So Mickey. Uh, she really is so Mickey. Uh, I hope you're enjoying this. You know, we're vibing. We're keeping it tight. This is good. Uh, it's a good podcast. Live shows. Planning some live shows. Planning live shows. Planning some Planning live, live shows. shows. Yeah. Thinking about if, it. I don't know when this episode's coming out. If you saw me in Los Angeles or at Big Bad Con, it was so nice to meet you. If you, this is before then, I'm going to be bumming around Los Angeles for like a week and then I'm going to Big Bad Con in San Francisco. Come hang out with me and Jasper there. It'll be great. Um, but yeah, man, just vibing, keeping it tight. And um, 
Amanda, I promise I will not write in to the New York Times <laughs> to talk about our cloned, all of our cloned plants and stuffed animals. Thank you. And I Thank certainly you. won't spend $50,000. Or if I do, we're going to sign a contract saying that I own the clones. That's a substantial investment. You got to figure out who's talking about this before you lose it. Yeah, you get you get. Come on. Yeah, you got to. You got to. Games and Feelings is produced by Eric Silver and edited and mixed by Misha Stanley. The theme music is Return to French Toast Castle by Jeff Bryce, and the art was created by Jessica Boyd. Find transcripts for this episode and all episodes at our website, gamesandfeelings.com. Until next time, press X to enjoy the podcast.